Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, we are in a, a series going through the, uh, the book of First Corinthians today, and um, we're in chapter 14. So we've been, we've been marching through this book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, section by section. I love going through the, the, the Word of God because it causes us to um, really dig into Word that uh, we wouldn't necessarily choose to always, you know, create a sermon about. And uh, this, this week is no exception to that. The past few weeks, Paul has kind of begun this discussion and started it in chapter 12, and he calls it spirituals. It's not, it's just literally can be translated spirit stuff, um, things that the spirit is up to. And he talks about it in chapter 12 and chapter 13, and he continues with it in chapter 14. In chapter 12, he talked about charismatic gifts, and so he outlines a bunch of them. It's not exhaustive, but he talked a lot about the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he reminds us that, um, that the gifts of the Spirit only work really well when we're planted in the soil of community, like family, and um, we're watered by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, like all of those things that when, we, when the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are working in tandem, then we see the, the Holy Spirit move in such a greater way that is sustainable. And so last week he talked about how to get a gift. Like how do you get a gift of the Spirit? A lot of people wonder that. Like I, I want one, I'm eagerly desiring it, but I don't know how to get it. And Paul has a weird twist on it in chapter 13. He says there is a way, and he calls it the most excellent way, and he says it's the way of love. Meaning that like when we follow the way of love, the most excellent way that we are, we are led by, we are moved by, the very same thing that Jesus was led by, the very thing that Jesus was moved by when he did his ministry here on earth. He was filled with compassion, moved with compassion for people who needed it. And as he moved towards them, all of a sudden, the gifts of the Spirit started working. And Paul's saying it's very much the same thing for you, that when you ask the Lord for compassion for people who desperately need his touch, when you go to ask if I can pray for you, when you ask if I, when you pray for God for, the, for these different people, all of a sudden you'll find that it puts a draw on the Holy Spirit that is in you and gifts and manifestations of the Spirit will come through you. That's, it's a totally kind of a different mind meld that, uh, that Paul talks about when he's like, you don't just sit there and be like, I really want prophecy. I really want word of knowledge. I really want this. I really want that. He's like, get a heart for people and the gift will follow. Amen? Yeah. And now today we're getting into chapter 14 and Paul is going to be talking about one gift that has more questions, more concerns, more fear, more confusion around it than any other gift of the Holy Spirit and um, if you've read ahead, you've seen it. Uh, Paul's going to be talking about the, the spiritual gift of tongues. So if you've never heard a sermon on the gift of tongues, you're in luck today. Because uh, chapter 14, Paul dedicates a ton of teaching around what the, this, this, this gift of tongues, it's kind of odd, it's weird, some... Some people are like, I don't want anything to do with that. Some of you are like tongue-talking charismatics and everything in between. Um, so let me just, before we get into the Word, let me just give you a little bit of a preface. Um, on, the, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, they're all gathered together in one place, and uh, the Holy Spirit comes in. The Bible says it sounded like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it says that tongues of fire, I still don't understand what that looks like, but tongues of fire rested on each of them, and they began to speak in other tongues. A crowd gathers, and this is their response. Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. <laughs> and I honestly think that if we just take these like two verses, it really is, uh, they totally nail how we continually view tongues even today in our time. Either it's, wow, it's so amazing. Do you see what God's doing? I want some of this. What does this mean? Or uh, this is weird. And I think they're probably drunk. Like, this is literally how, when it comes to this gift, how a lot of people still struggle and view it. And each of us comes to this gift in very different places, like from past understandings and teachings and church experience. Or maybe you're even a blank slate and you're like, oh my gosh, I've heard of this before. I've never heard anyone talk about it, though. I've never heard a teaching. I've never heard a sermon on this. Get ready. It's going to be awesome. Um, each of us comes at this from a very different place. And here's what I will say. No matter where you come at tongues or what you look at, the, your past experience with it, let's agree on this. One, the Word of God is trustworthy and true. You can trust it. The Word of God is true. So as we, as we rely on it, we don't, we don't come at it and saying like, well, my experience is this, so I'm going to dictate the Word of God based upon my experience. I'm allowing the Word of God to dictate that which I should and could be open to through the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's trustworthy and true. Secondly, you have a really good dad, a really good heavenly father. And the Bible says that he wants to give good gifts to his children. Amen? And if that's true, then number three is this. We have no reason to be afraid of anything that our Father wants to give us. We have no reason to be like, I don't know. I mean, I'm open to other things, but this thing I'm not open to. If, if we have a good Father who wants to give good gifts to his children, then you have no reason to be afraid of anything that we're going to be talking about today or even things that make us feel uncomfortable because we have a good dad. So why don't you stand with me as we're going to read 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to start in verse 1, and I think we'll go through verse 19. It's a little bit longer, but I think it's important for us to hear all of it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. He reminds us again, follow the way of love, the most excellent way. And as you follow it, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as like a pipe or, or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. 
Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they do not know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Lord, I pray that, um, I, I literally, I just pray that the, the fog would go out of the room today. Um, I, I, just have, I feel like I have just a word of just clarity, simplicity that would just bring clarity to what it is that Paul's talking about here. I pray that we would just be open. Uh, we have nothing to fear, um, even if it's uncomfortable. And we ask that you would have your way in us, deepen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to kind of run through this. It's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to hop around. Normally I, I, I go systematically through a scripture, so I'm going to I'm going to hop around specifically because I want to hit on some very specific questions when it comes to the gift of tongues. I think it's beneficial for you because um, if you've been around church for any period of time, especially if you've been around charismatic circles, there's a lot of questions when it comes. And I want to hit those things head on and bring simplicity that brings clarity into these areas. Um, First and foremost, I would say this. Do not get freaked out by the word tongues. It literally... The Greek word is glossa, which is where we get the word glossary, and it literally means the translation of that Greek word is language. That's that's literally all it means. So let me be very clear before we even get started, is that the gift of tongues is not the gift of speaking in gibberish. Um, It's a language. The Bible says that it's either uh, an earthly language that is unknown to the speaker, or it's a heavenly language, equally unknown to the speaker. And so there are a lot of questions around this, like a lot of questions about like what this gift is. And the first one is this, is the gift of tongues for today? Is it for today? Now, there's a doctrine in in some churches called cessationism. Uh, I talked about it a few weeks ago when Paul first started talking about spiritual things like this. Um, And it holds that the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, but honestly, specifically targeting the gift of tongues for some reason, is only for the age of the apostles, um, that they ceased once the apostles died. And some people say, well, it was actually once the Bible was completed and now we have the, the book, the Bible, then the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, the charismatic gifts ceased. The the third person of the Trinity and the gifts that he gives did not cease in 99 AD. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, when, when, when the apostle John died, he was the last of the apostles to die. So that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that he gives did not cease to start, stop operating. Miracles did not stop operating. Faith, healing, all of these things did not stop operating in 99 AD. They also did not cease to stop operating in 393 AD at the Council of Hippo when the scripture was canonized. 
The, the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit is active and working in and through God's people today. Prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge still operate in believers. Miracles still happen. I've, we literally had a, a guy healed last week of his, his arm. His neck was completely messed up and his arm, the piercing pain, gone as we were praying over him. I've watched a leg grow in front of my eyes. I don't have a box for that. I'm just telling you. Like I've watched cancer dry up. I've watched and felt the snack crackle pop of, of, a, of a spine start to come back into alignment through prayer. I, I don't have, an, I don't have an, like an ex, I don't understand how this stuff happens. I'm just telling you that God is still working in and through his people. And when it comes to the gift of tongues, I personally pray in tongues. So I believe that it is clear that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the ones that make us uncomfortable, including those, are still for today. And there's no biblical evidence that they have ceased or are ceasing until Jesus returns to take us as his bride up to heaven where we will be fully known and we will know him fully. And at that point, it would be weird for us to start speaking in tongues because we're all going to be up in heaven and we we won't need tongues, we won't need miracles, we won't need faith, we won't need anything because we'll be in the presence of God. Amen? Amen? So to answer the question, be very clear. Is it for today? Yes, it's for today. The second question that people have is this. Is it demonic? Is it demonic? Um, there are some believers that have taught, even written books about the gift of tongues, saying that like the, the spiritual gift of tongues is demonic. And that actually, when you speak in tongues, it actually doesn't show you how holy you are. It shows you how unholy you are because tongues is not for today and you're probably speaking by a demon. This is the same thing that Jesus confronted when, he, when they were like, yeah, I think you're actually, you know, setting people free and healing people and miracles out of because you're doing it through the power of Baal. And, and, and Jesus is like, how can a house be divided? Of, of course I'm not doing this by the power of Baal. I'm doing it through the power of God. And this, this kind of like understanding for some people saying like, oh no, you're probably speaking by a demon. And my question is this, how in the world have we gotten to a place in our world where we would ever say that a gift of the Holy Spirit is demonic? I will tell you, because I believe that there is a very strategic work of the enemy from the beginning till now to distort spirit stuff, the things that the spirit is up to, and to make them into something that is strange, scary, avoided, or twisted in such a way that there is actually a mimicking in the demonic to say, yeah, that's what this is. And it's like, no, 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 no. Um, that is the work and the strategy of the enemy. So I want to show you something that I, I've never, you may have never noticed this before, and it's the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Jesus appoints, you may remember this, he appoints 72 of his followers, and he tells them, he's like, I want you to go out two by two, and he gives them very specific instructions. He's like, I want you to go out two by two, I want you to heal the sick and preach the good news to the poor. Like, I want you to go out and you do, do the work of ministry. That which I've been showing you, now it's lab time. You go, you go do this. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. They're stoked. They're like, this was awesome. And it says this, they said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to, your, submit to us in your name. And then Jesus has this really kind of odd, completely off-the-wall response. If you've ever read this before, in verse 18, Jesus says to them, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I mean, and here's the reality. Some weird churches have taken this, this like completely literally, and especially in the deep south, they will literally, during times of ecstatic worship, take out the snakes, snake time, and they bring the snakes out, and they do snake handling during worship. I've never seen people doing scorpion handling. That's the weird part, because it's like, come on. They probably got stung a few too many times, so they're like, I'm not going to do, I'm, we're just going to stick to snakes, because scorpions sometimes just don't, we can't handle them well. So some weird churches will go and take this completely literally. Um, but if you look at the context, Jesus is not talking about literal snakes. He's actually not talking about literal scorpions. He, he's talking about demons. And he calls them snakes. And he calls them scorpions. So how do I know? How do I know that Jesus was talking about demons? Because look at the next verse, verse 20, Luke chapter 10. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I want to connect something for you really quick. Um, what if one day Jesus knew that there are going to be people that know so much in 2023, they're going to be like, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are demonic and they're not of God. Let me, one chapter later, Luke chapter 11, this is an equally odd message from Jesus. Like if you, if you kind of keep these things disconnected, it's like Jesus kind of was having a weird day on both of these days. Luke chapter 11, verse 11, watch what he says. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a, okay, this is just getting weird, scorpion. One chapter later, verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you really think that if you are eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, that your good father who wants to give good gifts to his child will give you a demon instead of the Holy Spirit? A snake a scorpion, instead of the very gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So is it for today? Yes. Is it demonic? No. Then what's the purpose? Can we just be honest? Like, it's a weird gift. Like, if you've ever been around it or if you've ever experienced it, you're like, uh, this is just weird. Like, you're kind of jibber-jabbering, you know, and uh, you don't seem to understand. Nobody else understands. What is the point? What, why would we even want to speak in tongues? Paul dedicates the most of this whole entire chapter to this question, which, which boggles my mind because there are whole denominations that literally you almost, almost have to like rip out chapter 14 and just be like, it's not here, it doesn't exist. So chapter 14, in a nutshell, Paul's going to outline two different uses of the gift of tongues. So you're like, there's, there's two ways? Yes. You're like, I thought it was just weird. Yeah, well, there's two ways of being weird, okay? One is you'd use it as a, an, an, as a personal prayer language and the other is a public use almost like prophecy in, in, in some sort of a communal public way. So let's talk about both of those. The first one is this. In your notes it says that it is a private prayer language that builds up your spirit. Let me say that again. It is a private prayer language that builds up your spirit. Let me prove it to you. 
1 Corinthians 14, verse 18. Let me just say this. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Can we just, just keep that up there for a second? Before we go any further, I want us to wrestle that verse to the ground. Because no matter where you come at from this, like Paul, the greatest apostle, the, the guy, that, the writer over one quarter of the New Testament, the guy who we owe so much of our current like, theology to, just wrote that he speaks in tongues more than all of you. And he's writing it to the Corinthian church, and he's actually kind of coming at them because they've, they've taken tongues, and they've like, oh yeah, we all speak in tongues, and tongues is the biggest, greatest thing, and it shows us that we're all so great, and we're all so amazing, we're all so better than everybody else. And he's literally coming at it, and he's like, guys, I'm about to lay down the hammer on you, but I just want you to know, first and foremost, I speak in tongues more than any of you. What? So what, 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 can, we, what can we gather from that? Firstly, Paul spoke in tongues. The great Apostle Paul, the big guy, right? Wrote all the, all the letters. He spoke in tongues. He did? Yeah. He was weird. Yes, he did. Number two, speaking in tongues was very significant to his walk with Christ. He, he, he was like unashamedly, like this is something that was very significant in his life, in his faith walk, in his spiritual, spiritual walk. So what is this personal prayer language all about? Why, why would you even want it? What is this all about? He says in verse 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So, tongues is a language given by the Spirit that is unknown to the person speaking it. So, if Let's just be honest. If, if you don't understand what you're saying and nobody else has a lick of understanding what you're saying, then what in the world is the point? Like, why in the world would uh, you even want or need to do that? Like, you don't get it. They don't get it. Nobody gets it. And you're weird. Why in the world would you continue doing this thing? Mm -hmm, thank you. God gets it. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, Anyone who speaks in the tongue edifies themselves but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Paul is saying that praying in tongues strengthens you spiritually. And, and you may not necessarily understand how it's working, but, but there is something that is happening in and through you when you're speaking in tongues where God is working in and through you. And you may not even understand how it, how it is all happening. Let me remind you of this. Each of us are triune beings. You are not just made up of body and mind. You are also made up of spirit as well. And some of your struggle, church, is not just physical and it's not just mental. It's not just physical and mental wellness. Some of your struggle is spiritual wellness. And so make sure that you are not just building yourself up and lifting weights so you got great physical bodies and not so much that you're like doing all the right things so that you have mental wellness. Make sure that you are building up your spirit man as well. And this is what Paul's saying. He's like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. All I know is that when I'm praying in tongues, my spirit is being built up. I don't understand. I don't feel any different. I'm just telling you there's something happening that I don't under, fully understand. I don't fully grasp where my spirit is being built up. And then he goes on in verse 14. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I'm not just going to babble along in tongues my entire life. I'm going to pray in words that I know as well. He says, I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll, I'll also sing with my understanding. So don't miss this. Paul's saying, when I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. My spirit is praying. Have you ever, um, have you ever had this experience where like somebody comes up to ask you for prayer? This happens to me all the time. And I literally have no idea how to pray for them. Like their, their, their situation is so convoluted and so messy and so like I have no idea. I don't want to just pray my will or even their will into the situation. I want to pray God's will, but I am so at a loss of like I have no idea what, how to even begin praying for this, this situation that's going on. Um, many times I'll, I just pray in tongues because I have no idea what else to do. Um, I've been on the missions field just a few years ago. I was in Russia and... Um, when I'm, in, when I'm in foreign countries I don't, that I don't know how to speak the language, I'll have an interpreter. And so I was uh, this one time in particular, I was preaching, the interpreter was interpreting into Russian, and um, afterwards we had an altar call, and so many people came up that it was like it was so many people that I, I didn't have the opportunity to be able to have my interpreter get close enough to, for me to be able to converse and have conversation with every single person. So you know what I did? I literally was like, okay, Lord, I... I don't understand what they're saying. They don't understand what I'm saying. I don't know what their needs are, but you do. And so I literally, I was like, I'm just going to put my hand on their shoulder. I'm going to pray in tongues. And they won't know the difference. <laughs> but I was like, I, I know that I'm, I want to join my spirit with theirs so that God can do what only he can do in their situation. And sometimes it may be even a better, better choice for me to do that than it would be for me to try to pray my own witchcraft prayer over whatever that I think that should happen in this situation. I just, just chose, like, I'm, I'm just going to pray in tongues. So I laid hands on them and prayed in tongues. And they, they, didn't, even, they didn't know any different. They're thinking, I don't know, maybe he's a southern, southern uh, English talker. I have no idea. So this is the private prayer language. That, and I want to remind you that Paul said was so, so, so important in his life that he would say, I pray more than any of you in tongues. And many of us are okay with that as long as you have that gift and you keep it to yourself, which means you're quiet about it, or you keep it on the foreign mission field. That's okay too. We're okay with that too, right? We're like, okay, just keep it on the foreign mission field. Keep it to yourself, but just don't let me hear any of it because it freaks me out, right? So just, I don't want to have anything to do with this thing. However, and this is what Paul talks about, and we got to talk about this. There are times where the gift of tongues is supposed to be shared with an individual. It's supposed to be shared with a group of people. It's supposed to be shared even like in a, in a church service. And let me tell you, it is awkward. It's weird. And it's like, Lord, what in the world? This is, is this going to work? I have no idea. But okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to operate in obedience even though we don't understand what it necessarily is, is happening. It's important for us to realize that even though something may be awkward, it doesn't mean that it's abnormal to God. Even though we're like, man, I just, I feel like this is a bit unusual. Things that can be unusual to us do not dictate God's will for our lives. And it's important for us to realize that even though we're like uncomfortable with something, that really bears no bearing on whether God's like, oh, it's uncomfortable for you? You probably shouldn't do it. Since when? Since when was God like, oh, I'm, I'm here for your comfort. So if you're uncomfortable, like, please, 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 just... 
you do whatever makes you feel good. Yeah, you do you, right? Like just, no, 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 no. God's like, actually, I'm continually calling you from like uncomfortableness to uncomfortableness to faith to faith to faith to stretching to stretching to stretching. Allow me to do things in you that you don't necessarily are comfortable with doing because if you were, you just do it on your own. But this is so normal to Paul that he actually gives like, like teaching around it. Like this is how you're supposed to do it when it comes to like a, a, a public use and application of the gift of tongues. So not only is it a private prayer language for your private use, but the second thing that Paul says is that it's a public prophetic word when there's an interpretation. That's the key. It's a public prophetic word when there's an interpretation. You may remember from like back in chapter, thir- um, chapter 12, Paul outlines, he's like, here are the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's like, there's healing, there's tongues, there's prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. And then the last one is the gift of the interpretation of tongues. That's literally, he kind of has that as as a separate gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, This is when you are given supernatural understanding of the either thought or intent of a message in a language that you don't know. Um, let me give you an example of this. And I want to, and I, when I say I want to get the fog out of the room, I think a lot of times if you've been around charismatic circles, it's always like a person with a microphone, Shonda Hang up here saying, you know, should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. And uh, everybody's like, what in the world? I don't know if I'm supposed to have a, a meaning to this. So let me give you a real boots on the ground example of God using this gift in real life. Okay, not in a church service. It was, but it wasn't. I have a friend in this church, goes to first service, good friend of mine. He, um, years ago, was in a missions trip to Paraguay, and he doesn't know Spanish, just so you know, not a lick of it. And he's in a church service, it was on a Sunday, and he's sitting there on the front row listening to the pastor preach in Spanish. Has no idea what the guy's talking about, right? So he's got this female um, interpreter, she's sitting next to him, and she's whispering, you know, the interpretation in English so that he knows what is being said from the stage the whole time. But all of a sudden, I just realized that she wasn't speaking anymore. And yet I was completely understanding what he was saying. That is the gift of the interpretation of tongues at work. And sometimes God uses it in very different ways. Sometimes we're always about, oh, it's about a heavenly language and somebody up on a stage. Sometimes it's like God using, in, in many ways, we see in Acts chapter 2 when they went out and started speaking in tongues and everybody was hearing it in their own, the gospel in their own language. There is this miraculous thing that God will do to, in, to allow supernaturally for you to understand the thought or intent of a language that you don't currently understand or know. Amen? pretty cool example for me. I'm like, that is so amazing that God's like works in that way. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse five, he says, and you got to wrestle this one to the ground too, guys. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So I want you to understand this. We read through verse 5. Paul is not diminishing tongues. He's not saying like, 
yeah, I mean, I, I like you to speak in tongues, but like, forget about it. It's not even for today. You should just focus on prophecy because prophecy is really the only big thing. And like the other one, you should just kind of like forget about because it's kind of weird and kind of scary and kind of awkward. And so just focus on prophecy. No, no, no. He says very specifically in verse five, he says, unless someone interprets. What's he saying? He's saying, because then a message in tongues with interpretation is the same as a prophetic word. He's like, just as much as somebody coming up, like I read this morning, a prophetic word, it's the same thing as God giving a message in tongues with interpretation because it is a now word for God's people for such a time as this that he's speaking a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy into a situation. And Paul's like, I'm not actually diminishing it. I'm just saying that it better have an interpretation because if it doesn't, everybody's like, what the heck's going on? This is weird. He's not diminishing it. He's actually propping it up when he's saying, as long as there's interpretation. And then he gives instruction, and this is so key. And a lot of like charismatic churches don't talk about this verse for some reason. Verse 13, he says, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. So Paul clearly puts the pressure on the person who feels that they have a prophetic message in tongues to pray for interpretation. Because if you just come up and you're like, I, here's the microphone, and you just babble on in tongues, how would anyone be edified? How would anyone be encouraged unless there is interpretation? And sometimes there's an interpretation of somebody else in the church, but Paul's like, before you share it, pray for the interpretation yourself. Amen? So, like, yeah, okay. Verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say, you are out of your minds? You're out of your ever-loving minds. Can you imagine? If everybody can't, comes in here, maybe you're like, I've been to a church like that. We're like, everybody's speaking in tongues. Everybody's like, and they're all like going off. The, the praise team's praising in tongues, and everybody else is praising in tongues, and you're the only person that doesn't speak in tongues. And you're like, what in the world is going on? When are the snakes and scorpions coming out? So here's my point. If you are a little freaked out at the public use of praying in tongues without interpretation, you are in really good company with the Apostle Paul. Paul agrees with you. He's like, yeah, that's not what we should be doing. We, we should be edifying everybody, not just edifying ourselves all by ourselves in a group of people. Verse 27. He says, if, then he starts getting granular. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. And if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. In other words, if you don't have an interpretation, keep it as your personal prayer language. Speak to yourself and pray to God in the Spirit. Which brings us to a question that some of us are wondering right now, and that is this. Okay, Pastor Justin, we talked about tongues and interpretation, uh, what it's supposed to look like, what it's not supposed to look like, um, but I have a question. Um, I'm not going to point out anyone, but they're like two rows behind me. I'm almost positive. Like, I looked, and they're not Japanese, but I am like, I am so sure there was like Japanese coming out of them. When, like, we were singing, and I'm hearing Japanese. I'm just telling you, Pastor Justin, if we're going to, like, doesn't verse 28 say they should keep quiet? 
I mean, I'm reading it like, just like you, and if we're going to like start like saying, okay, this is okay, but we're going we're gonna to hold people's toes to the fire and all that, I'm just telling you, verse 28 says they should keep quiet. Is that true or not true? It's true, yes. But keeping quiet is a relative word, isn't it? Some people's quiet is another person's outrageously loud. <laughs> and here's what I will say as your pastor of New Life Church, is that I encourage you to be free to express yourself in worship here at New Life. Now, what that means is this. Some people raise their hands. Some people do not. Some people jump around. Some people stand very still. It's nothing. It's no different, right? Some people dance. Some people kneel. Some people will come up to the front. Um, some people don't. Some people will sing along with the words on the, on the screen. And some people make up a joyful noise to the Lord. And just kind of like, man, you're just like singing you're just singing your own song there, aren't you, sweetie? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you know what I'm talking about. And you're, if you're that person, you're like, hallelujah. You know what I mean? Like, you're excited about this. Some people cry. Some people shout. Some people praise. Some people stay in silent in worship. Not, not, nothing's wrong with any of these things, right? Some people, um, like myself, you might overhear me speaking in tongues as, during worship. So then what does it mean to keep quiet? What does that mean then? I call it... Um, Call it the tambourine rule. Hold on, let me get ready. There we go. Ha, huh, man, you guys know, like, revival is about to break out. Because this guy, I don't know if you noticed, it's the Holy Spirit and the Word. So this thing's amazing. Uh, this is a gift, by the way. I'm blessed. And um, I got a smaller one, but it's not quite as loud. I like the louder one. Um, Here's what I mean by the tambourine rule. If you're, if you're not on the worship team, please don't bring a tambourine to church. Um, why? You're like, well, that's just, I feel like you're stifling the move of the Holy Spirit. Um, here's the reality. You are having such a grand old time worshiping, right? But, um, and you feel like um, you are an unofficial extension of the worship team. Like, they're going to find you. They're gonna be like, man, get that woman up here, man. She got the tambourine skills, right? Like, and you're like, I am blessing everyone with my tambourine prowess. Like, and they're going to, like, see me and be like, ma'am, come up here and get a mic. And you're just thinking, this is what I, I need to just, I, this is my gift, right? Um, the, but the reality is that most people around you are completely distracted. Um, and some people, the people that are, like, just barely saved, they want to hurt you. <laughs> just barely. Just, I'm trying to help you help you, okay? Um, and Paul is, reminding, Paul is reminding the Corinthians that every single one of us, when it comes to worship, we practice freedom within boundaries. And those boundaries aren't self-imposed by whatever we think. The, the boundaries are self-imposed by the benefit of others and the common good of God's people. And so Paul's saying, like, what is beneficial to you privately may not be beneficial to others publicly. That's the key. So Paul's saying, like, it isn't just about you and Jesus. It isn't just about you. So be free in worship, but not so distracting that people around you want to hurt you. Tambourine rule. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder how many tambourines I'm going to have next week. Okay, awesome. Um, lastly, uh, I'm going to give you a couple questions that are going to arise um, about, about tongues, then I'm going to let you go. Um, real quick, 
question about tongues. Is it proof that I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's a big one, right? It's proof. Let me be clear. You do not have to speak in tongues in order to be saved or to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I do see oftentimes that people that um, in Scripture, people were filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately spoke in tongues, but that is not always the case. And so um, the reality, and this is what Paul would say, is that tongues is a benefit to you. It's not a requirement for you. So eagerly desire it, but it's not required for your spiritual walk, right? Like, just like any of these giftings, none of these are required for you to walk in. He's just saying, this is one of them. You should eagerly desire it, but it's not required for you in any sort of, of fashion. So let me address a couple of myths. Um, one of them is, is speaking in tongues uncontrollable? It's a fear. Is it not a fear? If you've never spoken in tongues, you're like, I mean, like, some people, some people will say, they're like, I don't know, just like, I, I just, I couldn't help it. It just, it just came out. Not true. Not true. It's not true. It's not a trance. It's not an ecstatic experience that you have no control over. It's not going to possibly be an embarrassing experience for you. You're not going to be at the job site tomorrow talking to Bob, and all of a sudden you'll be like, hey, Bob, so anyway, I was, oh, no, oh, no, here it comes. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, I should have bought a Honda, but a Kia. Like, I mean, like, you're, and Bob's like, what the heck's going on? And you're like, I don't know, man, I couldn't help it. It just came out, it just came out, I couldn't help it. It's not true. It's not true. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. So when people say, like, I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you could. In fact, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Well, I just, I, the Spirit just got a hold of me. Well, get a hold of yourself. Just gonna say, just gonna say it. I'm not gonna say, I'm just saying, I'm just gonna say it, right? It's not something that could possibly embarrass you. It's a choice. If you wanna, if you wanna pray in tongues, um, well, like if, if you don't wanna pray in tongues, you won't. Um, you can control it just like any other gift. If you've got the gift of giving, it's not like you just walk in through the door and you're like, oh man, what, what happened to my money? I must say, gift of giving got me. It's giving me every time. Money just leaving my wallet. You could blame it on that, maybe, ladies. You'd be like, I have no idea. It's the gift of giving, sweetie. Really, what's this Amazon box coming in every day, right? It's a gift of giving. Well, it looks like the gift of getting, right? Like, but you never, you don't just operate in a, in a gift of the Holy Spirit without knowing it. Like, it, you have to, just like any gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to agree to come into agreement with it. That you walk in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, and it's the same way with the gift of, of tongues. And so people will say, well, if God really wanted to give it to me, then he just would. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. If that were true, then I don't think that Paul would say over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to eagerly desire it. Because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he doesn't force gifts, he gives them. And so part of our role is just to be open, to say, God, I, this is weird. Uh, but if you say that this is a, a gift that like, is one of these, uh, then I'm open if you want to give it to me. Part of our, our role is just to, be, just to be open. He says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Another myth is, um, I find in some churches, is that tongues can be seen as a mark of spiritual maturity. You've never been a part of this, I'm sure. People are like, oh, you don't speak in tongues? <sighs> it must be hard. It must be real hard for you because like, I, I don't know what I would do without it because I'm like so spiritually mature, mature right? Must be must be very difficult for you not to not to speak in tongues because like man I'm I mean I don't like to I don't like to say anything you know I don't want to put you down but like I'm putting you down okay 
It's not a spiritual mark of maturity. In fact, um, some of the reason why this gift has gotten so much issues around it is because it's been used by people who are not spiritually mature. Ouch. We have that. This is why I'm talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. If we're all about the gifts and not about the fruit, we're going to be immature believers who will hurt people rather than help them with the gifts that God gives us. Mm. You can take that as a prophetic word. Okay. Um, Paul addresses this specifically in chapter 13, verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We talked about this last week. Justin's paraphrase is this. If I speak in tongues, but I do not have love, I am about as annoying as an offbeat tambourine. Sorry. You got to get into it. You know, you can't just be like, nobody does this. Nobody does this with a tambourine. Anyway, um, in other words, it doesn't really matter how gifted you are if you're not fruited. You could be the most gifted person in the room or most gifted person in the world, but if you aren't loving, you're missing the point. That's what Paul talked about all last week. We're talking about the love chapter of chapter 13. Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> so um, when I first encountered the Lord, I was in eighth grade, and um, I had this one simple prayer. And my prayer was this. I was like, if I can have a relationship with God, then I want it. And I thought the, the, the woman, my, my youth leader was crazy. She was kooky. Um, I was like, uh, if you're real and you're not crazy, then I want what you have. I'm open to anything that God wants to give me. And for me personally, I'm just talking about me. It was like a day of Pentecost experience. Like I, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I felt filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I started speaking in tongues. I had no idea what, it was, what was happening. I was a good little Catholic boy. I was like, what in the world's going on right now? Like I have no clue what's happening. And to this day, I can tell you this, I still don't understand it. I'm a pastor now. Like, this is 30 years in. And you're like, well, you should probably, like, lock it down. Like, you should have this figured out by now. And I'm like, I, I got no clue. I got no clue. Almost like what Paul was saying. He's like, look, I got no clue. Like, my mind is unfruitful. I'm just telling you that, like, there's something in me that is building up my spirit when I do it. And, I, and I'm a better person when I do it. So I'm going to keep doing it. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know what's happening. But I'm just telling you the spirit is moving in and through me and strengthening my inner man in a way that I just, I, I don't know. I just see him doing something. So as we... As we enter into this last worship song, here's what I would say. No matter where you come from with all this stuff, I hope that it's like at least the fog's out of the room. Like we just talked about it, right? We talked about that, that gift that everybody's like, ah, I don't really know about this thing. Here's what I would encourage you. I want to leave you with three things. And it's the three things that Paul said about this gift. And remind you that Paul, the greatest apostle, the one who we trust much of our theology to, the one who wrote one quarter of our New Testament, wrote these three statements in this one chapter. He says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And verse 39, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. 
allow me to remind you that you have a good heavenly father who wants to give good gifts to his children. When you ask him for the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you a snake and he's not going to give you a scorpion. And if that's true, then I want to just challenge you today. Like if you feel God moving on you in a fresh way, maybe it's just a simple, God, I'm open to whatever it is that you have for me. And this is just one of the gifts. Like, God, I pray that I just take the blinders off. I'm open to the things that the Spirit wants to do in and through me. And I may have been a a Christian for 30, 40 years, but God, you're always up to new things. So I I just open up my spirit to you. I open up my mind to you. I I refuse to, to shut out, shut the book on anything that the Bible says is beneficial to me. And I allow you to just work and do a fresh new thing in me. Lord, we lift you up. We worship you. We magnify your name today. Lord, I thank you for just bringing clarity. Clarity, even in the midst of uncomfortable. I pray that you would do what only you can do and shape us, make us, mold us, break us, make us more like you. Have your way in us, Jesus. Let's worship.